Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. So you bought a gadget recently, didn't you? I did. I bought a gadget. I bought a, um, a Walkman. What do they call it? The thing you put a cassette tape in. <laughs> That's what we all used to think of it as. No, I bought a Walkman uh, digital audio player. And I'll, I'll tell you the story really quickly, if I can. You have time. This is our podcast. You can talk <laughs> as long as you want. All right. Well, well, Your Honor, it sort of goes like this. Um, I got a set of AirPods, right? That's what they're called, right? The things you put in your ears. And I kept losing one. And I, I got up to three pairs. And I said, okay, I've learned my lesson. So I'm not going to buy uh, uh, untethered earphones ever again. I've said, I can't, you know, what's the definition of insanity? <laughs> Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I'm not going to, it's just not going to work for me. The funny thing is when AirPods first came out, the first thing everybody thought was that there's no way I'm going to be able to do dump, jumping jacks and run an obstacle course with these things in my head. And as it turns out, you can do jumping jacks and run an obstacle course and AirPods will stay on your head. Just not my mm -hmm. head. My head is, I, I'm a special person. I, I'm very special. I have bad ears for, for those kinds of devices. So um, the first thing I went out and did, I, was, I ran out and bought uh, a, so a set of Sony wireless earphones. Wireless? They're tethered. Yeah, wireless. Oh, I thought you were using but, uh, earphones that you plugged into the device. Well, uh, I'm getting to that part of the story. Okay. If you just settle okay. down there in the back. <laughs> um, I got these wireless ones. I'm still using the iPhone here. Um, the very nice the Sony wireless. They have two little dongles that kind of hang, uh, 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 you know, around your neck. And then they're connected in the back. And perfectly fine. They charge up great. They hold, I don't know how many hours of, of, of battery life. Super perfect. But I put I put them on, and it's like now I wear reading glasses when I go out. I also have sunglasses when I go out, and I've got and I've got a backpack, and I've got all of these things dangling off of me. I've got the the earpieces. I've got the the glasses, the backpack. It's not just this that, is hold on. It's not just that you wear glasses, but you wear them with that little cord to right. hang them off your neck. Right, because my neck is is good for hanging things on, and that's what I yeah. you know. I, why not? It's there. Now, you and I, over the past few months, we've been abusing this term that we use as shorthand for inconvenience, but the Buddhists call it dukkha, and that is, in general, suffering. Now, I don't mean to belittle Buddhism, but it's, it's our little shorthand word for things that are just in the way on your path. They are just that inconvenient that it, they're just slightly annoying, and I am trying to polish all the dukkha. I realize I can't get rid of the dukkha and the inconvenience, but I can make my world a little smoother and a little easier to deal with, with the little inconveniences. So I said, you know, I'm not going to use the iPhone anymore for music. I'm going to go get a, a thing that does one thing, and that's all it does. I just can plug some headphones into it, run it up the back of my shirt, keep the device in my back pocket, and it works great. This Walkman holds eight gigs of music. 
I only put about four gigs in it. It's I only need to listen to it while I'm out shopping around and, you know, 45 minutes at a time. I don't really care what the songs are. It's not for critical listening. It's just for jaunting about. So the same thing I would do on the iPhone, but it became too difficult to do on the iPhone. The the iPhone, I understand, is a device that a lot of people use because it keeps them tethered to apps and services and all of the conveniences that they might have had at home or all of the conveniences that they have on a computer at work or at home or that sort of thing. But a phone, it's doing too much for me. I don't need to be using the phone for all of these things. So... I went back to the tried and true, get the device that plays the media you want to listen to, and that's all it does. And I've been happy so far. Okay. First of all, Duca doesn't mean suffering, and I explained this to you. Okay. I'll link in the show notes to my podcast, The Zen of Everything, where we discuss Duca. It's, in this sense, it's friction. The original term actually meant a badly fitting axle hole. So you can imagine the chariot is moving, and it's kind of bumpy, and it's like... It, it's not, it's just a little bit annoying, that kind of thing. That's per, That's a great original meaning. <laughs> okay, so another thing is you've got wireless Beats headphones, so you could use them, but there's Duca involved if you were to wear them too, isn't there? Well, yeah, you got to take them off. You, then you have to wear them around your neck, which is not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be on your head. They work great when you want them on your head, but when you want to do something else with your head besides listening to music... You've got to either take them off, wrap them around your neck. Yeah, they fold up nice. They, they're really great things. But still, it's, they're, they're, for, they're for vacuuming. <laughs> you, put them on, you put them on while you're vacuuming around the house. They, they're noise-canceling. They're, they're perfect for that job. There is no duca involved at all when I'm vacuuming and listening to music with my beats. But I would never wear them outside because they look awkward. They're, they're too much friction. So what if you used an old iPod or an iPod Touch? I'm sure you have one. I did think about that. One with a headphone jack, I mean. Yeah, right. I looked into it, and I think the problem, one problem was, more duca. I had to get, I don't even remember the number of pins. What was the number, what was the plug that you put into one of those? 30 pins. 30 pins. That's what I was thinking. Is it 14? Is it 9? Is it, it's, uh, the th- I don't have any 30 pin plugs, you know. That's another thing. I eliminated what's, I, there was, they weren't bringing me any joy, so I got rid of them. <laughs> so, you know, I got rid of all that junk. You know, I mean, the time had come. The, 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 the expired by date had, had come and gone years ago. And I just got rid of all that stuff. So I do have some old hardware, but it would be awkward to try to use them. What, you can buy a 30-pin to USB cable from Apple. I think it's 12 bucks. It's really cheap. Yeah, you get one on Amazon yeah, for 6 yeah. bucks. I mean, I know it's another step. Yeah. And, but, but you also wanted to have that single-use device. Yes, I did. There I, was desire that you couldn't overcome. That's, that's very true. I mean, because that's the way I am. But I, it, it made me think back to in the 70s, if I may use that as, a, as our plateau of, of commonality. You had four devices. You had a radio. You had a turntable. You had a cassette deck, and you had a, maybe had a CD player later in the 80s. You had a, one device that did one thing. You didn't try to combine them. That would be dumb. They each had a specific purpose, and they each did a specific thing. And you didn't, unless you had, well, we're going to talk about boomboxes, I'm sure, but unless you had an all-in-one or a console at home, you didn't, there was no idea of 
You can't play a CD on a turntable. You can't listen to the radio on a cassette deck. You, you, there's no way to do it. They, they do one thing. And that's what I thought was very interesting is that the phones that we use now, and this is to be super critical about phones, they shouldn't have to do everything. The idea that they just connect to the Internet, I think, is fine. But trying to do other things... I don't know, why are we listening to music on our phones? Can you imagine, I'm just starting to think of like, in what universe did this happen where phones evolved into music players? Even though originally the phone was supposed to be a device, a listening device for, for deaf people, that sort of thing, for amplification. And probably would have eventually gotten around to being a music player, but it wasn't because it became a communications device. But it's, you know, why is the phone being used to play music and video? It's, it's, it's not right. Kind of not right. Get out of my yard. I think there's a problem of terminology. I don't like calling these things phones. They are pocket computers. When you call them phones, then you enter into this conflicting idea of why is a phone playing music? Because that's not what a phone does. You also, if I may, you also play into this idea that the people who provide you service for the phone are kind of in charge of your phone. I mean, there's a certain amount of you can't have a phone without the phone company, right? Well, that's not new. You need a data plan. You, you, need, you, need, a, well, you need a Bell Telephone to use your phone back in the day. Sure. Otherwise, right. the only thing you could do with it was break walnuts open. Right. Um, um, but I'm at the... Yeah. But you're at their mercy. And, and continuing to call it a phone, I think, only enhances that grip that they have over us. It's like, we are in charge of your phone. But it's not a phone. It's just a service I have on my yeah. pocket computer. I don't need the data plan. Okay. I want to talk about personal listening devices, personal music listening devices. We've done an episode about the Walkman, and I'll link to that in the show notes. We've talked about the iPod countless times. I think we have one episode where we did a real overview of the iPod. But the reason this came up is because my next track pick... I'll get to it at the end. There's an interesting evolution of how I got to this next track pick, but boom boxes are involved. And it made me think of the boom box was a collective listening device. It was an inclusive device. And I remember starting in the late seventies in Manhattan, about the same time as the Walkman came out, you'd walk down a street and you'd hear music everywhere. You'd hear music from boom boxes. You'd hear music from cars. It was music everywhere. And I don't think that happens anymore. Obviously, boomboxes really don't exist, except, I don't know, maybe um, Generation Z people using them ironically or something like that. But the idea of the boombox, of how it spread music, right? It was really instrumental in early rap music, for example. Well, it's also how a lot of music was broadcast, because some dude would have a tape, a mixtape, and he'd play it for his other friends and they'd dance to it or sing to it or whatever they were doing to it out, outside. I always imagine it's outside, but it could be anywhere. Well, it was more often outside, but that was the thing. It would be broadcasting, as you say, in a neighborhood and people would hear it and they would discover music like that. And I was thinking about how powerful that was. And yet at the same time with the Walkman, people were inside their worlds having a soundtrack to their lives, which, I mean, when I first had a pre-Walkman device, it was revolutionary. It really was. To be able to choose your own music like that, not having to listen to an FM radio station with DJs and ads and being able to listen to a whole album and stuff. But the idea of the boombox is kind of a shame it's disappeared. On the one hand, if you live on a corner where people play a boombox and you want to get to sleep, that's not a very cool thing. 
But on the other hand, that ability to be play, able to play music that can be inclusive, that can be for a party. Now, of course, we have Bluetooth speakers and other types of portable speakers, and that's similar. But, of course, you have to use your pocket computer to play the music on that. Yeah, and it's also not it's not the same. It's not as, uh, I don't know, I used to think anybody with a boombox was going to cause trouble. Um, in fact, I used to carry one around, and I thought, oh, people are going to think that I'm going to cause trouble. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I'd take the train and stuff like that, and I brought music with me, and... I liked having a, I had a, a medium-sized boombox, I suppose, that I could optionally listen with with headphones or use for speakers. So it was convenient to, to carry around. It was portable music. That's how I thought of it. Um, I didn't think of it as like my main listening thing, but it was it was very convenient to carry around with me. And I, th- I guess people buy them now. I guess you can have like these all-in-one things. Can you buy a boombox now? Well, I, I don't know if they would call them that. They might call them all-in-ones or they might call them triple-decker or, you know, I don't know, some kind of thing that has... I just looked on Amazon. There is... They all seem to be... Like retro, maybe. Well, no, but most of them seem to be Bluetooth. Yeah, I can believe that. Here's some with AM, FM radio, 3.5 millimeter aux input. Here's a couple that play cassettes, but a lot of them, a lot of them seem to be Bluetooth just with big speakers. The thing about a boombox is it was very loud. Most individual Bluetooth speakers don't get up to that volume and boombox had two speakers. Some of them had extra bass and they would thump, thump, thump. They could be really powerful, but a lot of them, I guess, here is Bluetooth speakers, 60-watt loud wireless stereo speaker with subwoofer deep bass. Colored lights to flash, kind of like party things. You know those, right, so you know those party, party, what did they call them, those party boxes? But see, this has to be ironic now if people are listening to a boom box. This has to be like they saw it on Stranger Things and they thought, oh, I'd like to have one of those. And they put it next to all the vinyl albums that they never listened to. <laughs> well, the thing is, the bo- uh, presumably a boom box, if you buy one, is going to work. So, I mean, you know, you could use it as a whatever player. Do they come with cassettes? Is that what I heard you say? They, well, they... Here, here's a Sony classic CD and tape boombox with radio, 80 pounds. It has a cassette cassette quarter, so it can, it's a CD radio cassette quarter. I'm guessing, right, there's a CD player in the top. There's a cassette deck in the front, and you could rec- maybe record from a CD or record from the radio, which is what we did back in the day. We recorded from the radio when someone was playing. When you knew they were going to play an album, you'd put the tape in your boombox and record it. Just count me in. I used to do that with the TV, too. Is that to set the thing up in front of the TV and do it. Yeah. We used to do weird stuff. But So personal music players have been interesting because we've gone from, well, the transistor radio in the beginning, right, which was this tiny little thing. I had one, I want to say it was about the size of three iPods, original iPods, like twice as thick and half as high, something like that. It was really small. It had, probably had a nine volt battery, had an earphone jack in it, had a little dial, probably only AM, the earliest one I had. And you'd have to be really close to it to hear it. So if people were listening to the music, you know, you, you get this picture of a, uh, a film in the 60s of a bunch of te- teenage girls sitting on lying on their stomachs and elbows listening to the music. That's the, how you had to be. You had to have that kind of proximity. And then when I was, I want to say, 10 or 11 years old, I won a thing at a sort of a carnival where I paid 10 cents. They spun a wheel. I picked 13 and I won an FM radio you could carry around. I'm shocked, shocked to discover there was gambling going on in your childhood. (laughs) 
and it was pretty big. I want to say it was about 12 inches high and eight inches wide and six inches deep. It had a big antenna that came out. It's really cool. I had that for years. And that was loud. It had a, I'm guessing like a three inch speaker or something, and that had volume. But the boombox, the thing about the boombox, and we'll get to it when I get to my next track pick, is that it was social, that it distributed music. It let people discover music. And again, I'm just remembering walking down 6th Avenue, coming home from work in Manhattan, and every block you're hearing something different coming out of the boombox. And the Tower Record Store is playing music with the speakers out in front of their thing. I mentioned that because you've got a Tower Records t-shirt on today, which must be 40 years old. No, nah, it's a, you know, it's a retro thing. It's like, hey, we'll print this right. up for you for 20 bucks. <laughs> you could play music outside, but I'm just imagining going down Newbury Street here in Boston, which is the very nice shopping area. And people, I mean, back then would have been playing music, but now the only music you'll hear is like from the French restaurant or from the, 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 the Shishi Nail Salon or something like that. So I think public music like that on the street anyway is uh, probably frowned upon. On the other hand, in local parks, I don't see it either. I don't see people playing boom boxes. Mostly it's just people, you know, with their earphones on. Well, but that's the thing. People don't want to hear music that they don't want to hear, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's it. I, I remember... Sitting in the park on on the baseball, there was this park in Queens where my friends and I hung out, and they had a bunch of baseball diamonds with bleachers next to them, and we'd sit up there like on a Saturday night, and one guy would have a boombox with some live dead tapes, and that would be, you know, the musical entertainment for the evening. And it, it was it was big enough that you could be outdoors and still hear the music, and it was far enough in the park that it didn't bother the people, because when there was someone parked in a car on the street that ran along the park playing music loud, then the people lived across the street, they would complain. So there was always that, there, there was always that friction, that dukkha between the people listening to the music who wanted to hear it and people hearing the music who didn't want to listen to it. Right. But if you were all in the same group, you were somewhat compromising in that regard. You know, it's funny you talk about where you listen to music. I remember mostly listening to my friend's car cassette deck. He spent an inordinate amount of money on, on, on making sure his mom's car, because that's the one he was allowed to drive, had a really good audio system in it. And he used to go, he used to come over and say, you want to go for a drive? And that meant go listen to music. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did. We drove, he drove around and we'd pop cassettes in and out of the, out of the machine. And that's where we broadcast our music to each other. Well, I don't know if there was any of that going on. We certainly smoked a lot of cigarettes and littered quite a bit. But I mean, other than that, we were just, you know, driving around, uh, you know, listening to tunes in the car. Yeah, I had a friend who had a one of those big old Mercuries that could seat like 12 people. It had an 8-track tape deck in it. I think he had two 8-track tapes, Born to Run and something else. But yeah, That's we, all anybody had. We would put on the FM radio and listen to WNEW FM. And it's true that this was a source of music while you're cruising because gasoline costs 35 cents a gallon. I wonder, do people still do that? Do young people still drive around and listen to music in cars, or is that just in commercials? You know, I see it in the occasional movie, but usually set in Los Angeles, where you have to go in a car if you want to get anywhere. I suppose. I don't know. I, I can't I, really see that in New York. But then again, I was... I grew up in Queens, which is kind of suburbs. And I don't know if you're, I'm guessing if you're in the South, you got a pickup and you're listening to country music in your pickup someplace. And yeah, well, that's true of anything. I mean, if anybody's listening to music in their car and they pick people up, they're 
you know. Or they're listening to talk radio, but that's a different thing. No one ever listens to talk radio on a boombox, at least not in my memory. <laughs> you know, unless it was like an interview or something, but that's about it. Yeah, and I'm talking about proper talk radio, you know, the political yeah, stuff would, and all no, that. You, nobody would listen to NPR on a boombox. That's yeah. just like no talking. So what's interesting now is that personal audio players are, for many people, the only audio players they have. And we've lamented the fact that back in the day, every house had a stereo system. And now most, at best, have a Bluetooth speaker. And I guess that, I guess music listening has just been internalized to be something you don't do with other people, for most listeners. Yeah, that's kind of sad, actually, because, I mean... You know, it's the earphones, it's the phones, it's the watch my own stuff. It's I'm important. I got a knee jerk reaction on Twitter. I've got to do this. You know, it's all about me and it's not so much about spreading it. I don't know. I, I, I Maybe sharing is a thing that doesn't happen anymore. I don't know. I don't want to say that because it sounds awful. That's kind of sad. But I mean, if people aren't carrying yeah. speakers around with them and they're carrying earphones around with them instead, that kind of says it's... It's not going out. It's it's staying in. People are probably listening to more music, but they're not sharing it. Now, they're, they're long, since the early days of the iPod, there was always this, there was a thing you could plug into the headphone jack that would split to two headphone jacks, right? And that existed before the iPod. And I think Apple even has a thing now where you can share on AirPods. SharePlay, is that what it's called? It sounds not familiar. Sure how it it works. sounds familiar. And the... If they don't, they should. Yeah, but I think they do. But you're only really going to use that if you have like a BFF, right? And you've got to hear this. Because most people, most people, what they do is you you want a friend to hear a song, you just play it on the speaker in your phone. That's what most people it's do. It's too much dukkha. Too much dukkha with the sharing of the thing. Yeah, um, yeah. you pop it on a, on a, where's your Bluetooth? Boom. There, hear this song that I like? Or... Or, you know, play it on the phone itself, on the phone speakers. iPhone speakers aren't that yeah. bad if you just want to give someone an idea of what a song sounds like. If all you want to hear is the vocal. I don't know. Okay, I want to move on to my next track pick. This is going to take a few minutes. So here's how it started. I watched Rude Boy last night. Remember Rude Boy, the movie with and about The Clash? I definitely recommend that listeners don't watch the movie. It's a terrible movie. It's really bad. It's only good for the, the scenes of The Clash performing. They do about eight or 10 songs in it. And these are songs that are filmed in very small clubs. This was in 1978. So their first album was out. Give Them Enough Rope hadn't yet come out. They hadn't really broken through yet. The story of the film around this is pathetic. The direction is bad. In fact, The Clash disowned the film once they saw it. What I saw on Wikipedia is that they've never even gotten any money from it. Well, whatever's left of The Clash. What's interesting is to see them perform live. Now, you're not hearing them perform live because all the music was re-recorded in the studio. And if you don't know that, you hear them playing the songs, you think, wow, they sounded really good live. Well, they didn't sound that good live. They did a good job of, I guess, lip syncing and playing along to the songs to make it sound good. All the camera angles are from one side of the stage. There are a couple where there's one from like the balcony, another one from the front, because they really probably only just had one camera. But it is really good to see them perform and to remember that Joe Strummer was really a performer when he sang. He was really into it. So I watched Rude Boy. And that made me this morning say, you know, I haven't listened to Sandinista yet this year. And as I've said many times, that three album Sandinista, there's a great double album hiding in there. But the first two records in Sandinista, just wonderful songs. And I'm listening to that. The first one's The Magnificent Seven. And that made me go down the rabbit hole. 
Because Magnificent Seven is the first rap song for white people, when you think about it. So, September 20, 1979, does that date mean anything to you? It's the concert where the photo used on the cover of London Calling was taken. It's at the Palladium in New York City. And you know who opened for The Clash that day? Blondie and Chic. Now, that's a pretty ballsy combination for The Clash. But as I've said many times, they were a rock band playing the punk idiom. They weren't really a punk band as such. Just a few days before that, the Sugar Hill Gang song Rapper's Delight had been released. And it has that chic guitar sound in the background. And when when Niall Rogers heard it, he was like, whoa, what are you doing here? And it turned out that they, they hadn't really sampled his music, but they'd copy it. So they gave him co-writing credit to get that on. Rapper's Delight was the first rap music that you heard everywhere. It was the first one that really broke through. So The Clash, when they came out in 1980 with Magnificent Seven, it was strongly influenced by that, of them hanging out with Chic, Sugar Hill Gang. Most people tend to think the first white person's rap song was Blondie's Rapture, but it was six months after Magnificent Seven. But you can see that they were all in that same kind of universe of I never really felt that Blondie was punk as such, and The Clash were kind of punkish, but that they all revolved around the beat that was in the street, the beat that everyone was hearing at the time. And I think Boomboxes had a lot to do with that in making that beat alive. So Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, there is a 15-minute version, which I'll link to on Apple Music, and there are like seven other edits for radio and single release, etc., in the early 1980s, I was working at a CHR radio station, essentially a top 40 radio station. And I didn't really like a lot of the music that we played, but, you know, you get excited about it and you make it work. But one of the bands I actually did like was ABC, British band, band out of Sheffield, that was sort of part of that second British invasion with Duran Duran and a, and a whole bunch of other people. But anyway, I really liked the record and... The lead singer, Martin Fry, has kind of kept the band going over the years. And so these songs continue to be popular. And interestingly, I saw that Stephen Wilson, the guy who has remastered a few Jethro Tull albums, has remastered their three singles from Lexicon of Love, their first album, produced by Trevor Horn, which I did not know until recently. I don't know why I didn't know that. Maybe I haven't thought about it. But anyway, Stephen Wilson has remastered these uh, these three singles. They sounded pretty good, but then I thought, you know what? I haven't listened to the original album in a really long time. So I thought, that's what I'll do. Now, I'm not sure if the Stephen Wilson project is going to be part of a, of a re-release of the Lexicon of Love by ABC. Don't know, but these three singles are pretty interesting. Actually, they're EPs. There's a remastered vocal version, a remastered instrumental version, and some kind of live recording done at the Hammersmith back in the day. Interesting to listen to, but I wonder if there's going to be a full Stephen Wilson remix of, of the album. If not, first album is fine with me. A couple of their albums after that were pretty good. They kind of meandered after their first two or three records, but even so. Good stuff. Good pop music. ABC, The Lexicon of Love is my next track. This was episode number 262 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. Don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so listener support is what keeps us going. Please visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. 
We'll talk to you next time.